the subject of this speech is a topic which has been discovered recently and which may not exist at all. I may be talking about something that does not exist. Therefore, I'm free to say everything or nothing. I got pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain holes. We are the three zygotes selected from the soul cube to talk to you today (laughs) about Dr. Futurity. But before we get to that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm David Agronoff, author of Flesh Trade, The Vegan Revolution with Zombies, and Punk Rock Ghost Story. And I'm Anthony Trevino, author of King Space Void, the horror comic fruition, frequent contributor to Clash. In in the past, I've written for Tom Holland's Terror Time and a handful of other places. And I'm Langhorn J. Twee. <laughs> God, I love it. Every time, I love it. <laughs> All right, so um, we'll start off with the PKD news. So, the first thing is an interesting thing, which is Isa Hackadick is Phil K. Dick's daughter, and she runs the Electric Sheep production company that basically oversees all of his literary works into production. And she's one of the executive producers of Man in the High Castle. As such, with the release of Season 3, she's been doing a lot of interviews. And so there's some really good stuff coming out of those interviews. Um, but one of my favorites was that she did this interview with Vulture.com where they asked her to list her favorite PKD adaptations, and she said Blade Runner, Scanner Darkly, but most importantly, she said that her next priority for adapting works of PKD in the future are Ubik and the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. Yeah. Which we're we're all fans of. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked about Three Stigmata. I'm I'm stoked about <coughs> Three Stigmata all the time. That's right. my that's my favorite dick book. Yeah. So, um, at this point, it's one of my favorites. Um, so, that's the first uh, PKD news. And the second one is the Philip K. Dick European Science Fiction Film Festival in Europe has announced its full schedule. And it's going to be October 25th and 26th in um, France. And November 1st through the 2nd in Cologne, Germany. And they want to fly us out there to cover the film festival? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, maybe... The... Uh, yeah, I'll check my schedule. I think I'm free. <laughs> You're always free. Maybe the sixth annual. They'll, they'll, they'll have us as speakers. <clears throat> Anyways, um, so, and I apologize. Um, I'm getting over being sick, so I'm very coffee and... So if you didn't want, to, want David to shut up more, now you can. <laughs> All right. Right in. Tell David to stop coughing on me. All right. Well, you can fucking talk more if you want to. Anyway, so... Not the, the one with the notes. The, you have the syllabus. Yeah, that's true. Um, so this, I looked at the schedule. There's a lot of really cool films, but there's only a few that are directly Philip K. Dick adaptations, including the uh, Piper in the Woods, which is one we intend to do on the podcast, eventually short film. Yeah, there's two, uh, two or three. <laughs> 
short films based on that. Yeah. So, let's get into our dick-like suggestions. Does anybody else want to go first, or should I? David, you know the answer to that. Yeah. All right, so my dick-like suggestion for this month is The Shockwave Rider by John Bruner. This is... Now, John Bruner, um, we'll talk about later in the episode, but... (coughs) Excuse me. He's one of... um, <laughs> I wanted, hey, dickheads, coming to you live from the bronchitis ward of the hospital. Uh, so, Shock, uh, John Bruner is a British science fiction writer, and one of, um, he and PKD likes each other a lot. And Shockwave Writer is one of the earliest books about the internet and basically, um, virtual reality and the whole cyberspace thing, but it was written in 1972. Wow. Right? <clears throat> this is a great book. It is totally mind-fucky, and it's kind of hard to get into uh, sometimes because it is so weird. It is very, very weird, and a lot of people have not been able to finish it, but I personally really liked it. Challenge so. accepted, David, right. right after I get to the final blackout. <laughs> right. Is it like some of Harlan Ellison's stuff that um, leans in that direction that's just really so far out there that it's hard to understand. I think it's way farther out there than, than Harlan Ellison. Really? Personally. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he also had a, a novel called Crucible of Time, which was like also one of the weirdest like science fiction books I ever read. Like where it was about this alien civilization that was just, that was underwater and very weird. And, um, it was funny cause I had a conversation with Crucible about Crucible of Time with Jeremy Robert Johnson once and it was funny because I told him the concept and all the weird things that were in it. And he was like, yeah, that sounds really neat, but I don't ever want to read it. <laughs> and I was like, <clears throat> I can see where people would feel that way. If you but, don't know who Jeremy Robert Johnson is, he's the author of Skullcrack City, Angel Dust Apocalypse, and... Entropy and Bloom? Yep. Yeah, great. You, you great just writer. let him know who you're talking about first. Well, it's, yeah, anyways. <laughs> Shout out to Jeremy... Yeah, he's a great writer. Um, so, and I would suggest him for people who like Cronenbergian type stuff, like body horror. His and... collection, We Live Inside You, is a great, great collection. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Entropy and Bloom too. Um, Larry, do you have a dick-like suggestion this this month? I do. Well, I hit us. Uh, just is it a video game? <laughs> it is not a video game this time. Uh, I just saw the movie The Discovery, which was a Netflix flick. Oh, it starred, yeah. starred uh, Robert Redford and what's-his-face from that terrible TV show. Yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah, real na- really narrows it down. Yeah, yeah, right? There's so many terrible TV shows. Uh, the uh, Yeah, I saw this when it came out, but I don't remember. Jason Siegel. That's him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Rooney Mara. And it was directed by the guy that also directed To the One I Love or whatever that movie was called. Let me look that up. To All the Boys I've Ever Loved? No. Is that what the, it was? The One I Love, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> the One I Love, which is also a movie everyone should see. Yeah. But this movie starts out with the the concept that the afterlife has been discovered. And even though we don't know what the afterlife is per se, we know that it exists. So there has been massive suicides as people who hate this existence are just on faith moving on to what they think is the the next plane of existence. Yeah, it's a good movie. I remember watching that. And 
so the director is Charlie McDowell, and the writer is pause while Larry checks IMDb. Yeah, right. <laughs> is Justin Later, and Justin Later is uh, a person to watch as far as writing is concerned. He he wrote the uh, the other movie I mentioned, uh, whatever it was called, the one I love. <laughs> Right. And he wrote this movie, and he hasn't done a lot of other things other than these two projects, but they are both mind-bending, weird. Uh, mind-bending tour de forces? They are not tour de forces, but they are, they are mind-bending and they are weird, but they are also very personal. You guys, what does a tour de force really mean? I see it on novels all the time, a mind-bending tour de force. It just means really mean. a, like an epic journey, basically. Sounds like bullshit. It does sound like bullshit. <laughs> but right. the, I recommend this movie quite a bit. So what makes it a dick-like suggestion? Well, there are... I don't want to give too much away, but there are alternate realities involved and personal alternate realities. Yeah, I would agree. It is a good dick-like suggestion. Good job, Larry. I'll check it out. Yeah. I got nothing. You got Sorry, nothing. y'all. I've been busy reading a book that's very not dick-like and working <laughs> on the um, piece I wrote for the Halloween event I did, so I got nothing. All right, so Anthony has nothing. Your Halloween story? Yeah. You got a problem with that? No. Larry? Yeah, so... Uh, for you stepping to me, bro? His Halloween story, Anthony did a reading at a <laughs> Halloween event where the woman who read before him read... Oh, let it go, David. For a half an hour let, from a Laurel K. Hamilton let novel. Let go, David. I thought he was going to like compliment my story, but instead he took this opportunity to bitch about this. No, your story was very <laughs> good, but you didn't introduce yourself, and you were going to walk off stage with nobody knowing who who, who you were. Oh, that would have been badass, the mystery reader. Thank you! Thank you! Larry gets me. Okay. Fucking mysterious. <laughs> All right, so that ends Dick-like suggestions, since Anthony doesn't have one. Do we have any questions? Yeah, yeah, we do have a question. Right on. A good question. One that I looked at and went, oh. I wanna... Would you like to read the question, Anthony? Is it? So, uh, open. Sesame. Oh, we're not doing word association. Idtree? I-D-T-R-Y. I'm sorry, at open Idtree. Correct me if I'm wrong when I say your Twitter handle. Did PKD ever do any narration for audio dramas, etc.? Do we have him ever performing his material? Do Ooh. you guys know? I actually that don't know. That is actually a good it's question. It's a good question, though. I do. I think I know the answer. You think, or do you have facts, David? I have I have some facts. Uh, for one, um, I did a cursory search of the audiobooks, and so far, um, I searched through several of them, and I saw no evidence of PKD reading his novels. However, there the one example that I know of is that in one of his interviews, he does read from Scanner Darkly. Oh, nice. And this re- – he reads the scene that they use as voiceover narration with the bugs mm. in Scanner Darkly. Oh, cool. Yeah, and he reads that scene and Richard Linkletter actually wanted to use PKD's voice in the movie. but. At the last second, he chickened out and used the actor. Oh, really? From, yeah. But there, he did cut a version where he slipped in, but the audio was so bad 
from the interview. So I'm sure we've got all these interviews that are up online. So right. we can try to figure out which one it is. But <clears throat> yeah, it's just one of those random interviews that he gives where he where he reads the, the bug scene from Scanner Darkly. And as far as I know, that's the only online reading that there is. Um, but only, we'll, only recorded reading of yes. Reading now that out. that being said, there he does at the French conference, the conference where he spoke in France in the late seventies, I think seventy seven. He does read an essay about living in a simulation, right? Which you can find on YouTube under PK if you search PKD predicts the matrix. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link. Yeah, and he does read that essay. Um, word for word in there. And, um, he wasn't that powerful of a narrator or reader, so that's why I don't yeah. think he did any books. Like, um. Not all writers are good read, like, read, like, performers of their work. No. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, like, Harlan Ellison is great, but Isaac Asimov, not so much. Charles so. Bukowski is not the voice you would want to hear from him. Same with Terry Pratchett. I never want to hear from Bukowski ever. Ouch. Wow. Hot take. Yeah. All right. So on to the rest we of the We rarely sh- want to hear from our betters. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. On the Bukowski cast next month. On the Bukowski Ooh, Can we do box. that? The Bukowski box. You want to do a Bukowski podcast, Larry? I would love to do a Bukowski. Let's do it. We can talk about pulp. <laughs> <laughs> so we're now going to talk about Dr. Futurity. This is the first book of... PKD's work to be published in 1960. Oh, did we did we make the jump from the 50s? Are we in the 60s now? Well, it was published in the 60s. Well, David, what happened in 1960? Well, we same, need a sound effect for every time you ask that. <laughs> for the same, this is the same year that JFK won the election. Psycho Ooh. was one of the biggest releases of the year. Awesome, the original Psycho, The Magnificent Seven. And this was also the first time that a president presidential debate happened on TV. So <laughs> very famous debate. <clears throat> yeah, very famous debate because Nixon lost it just because he was like you could see his face sweating, sweating, and he looked uh, very uncomfortable. And it was the first time it ever happened. Now that being said, I think Doctor Futurity is firmly a 1950s Philip K. Dick book because not only was well. We'll get into the writing and publication history next. And, um, but it's definitely the, I would say the second to last of the fifties Philip K. Dick books, even though Dr. Futurity and Vulcan's Hammer were both released in 1960, they are very much of the fifties. Well, when were they written? Well, it's a good thing that you asked. Originally, Dr. Futurity started as a novelette called Time's Pawn, and that was written on June 5th, or, um, yeah, written on June 5th, 1953. It was, it was, and is a novelette, not a short story, but not a novella? Yeah, I don't know. Jesus, just call it a fucking novella and move on. I think that, what's the length on, on it? On a Um, novelette? It was just over 22,000 words. So it's longer than a novella. Yeah. Uh, why not just call it a novella? <laughs> I don't know. I think novelette was a term that was used by the magazines. The pulp before magazines the before time. novella was around? Yeah. And so it was written after the short story, The Eyes Have It, 
And before, it was what he wrote right before he wrote The Golden Man, which is the story that became the basis for the <laughs> Nick Cage movie next. Ooh, nothing like the story. Yeah, but we'll eventually do an episode on that. So, uh, God help us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Time's Pawn was originally published in Thrilling Wonder Stories. Um, you gotta not- say it like, Thrilling Wonder Stories! It was published in Thrilling Wonder Stories in the summer of 1954. Much better. Yeah, yeah. that was good. Uh, it was very ambitious in size, considering, uh, you know, what it was. And, uh, Thrilling Wonder Stories was a spin-off magazine of, uh, Hugo Gersbeck's, um, Amazing Stories. So, hmm. yeah, so it was a big deal that it was in there. And I think it ha- also had, you know, I mean, this magazine had originally published Van Vogt's, uh, Weapons of Ishar, um, in 1949. And that same, or the issue before that had a very controversial Philip Jose Farmer short story called Mother. Um, Jack Vance, Ray Bradbury are all published. Was that the inspiration for the song Mother? <laughs> that song on the radio today, weirdly enough. Twist of Cain is better. Go yeah, on. Twist of Cain is a much better song. Um, Mother's probably my least favorite song on that album uh, when we do the Danzig cast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's called Lusacast. Uh, End of Time is definitely the best song of the first Danzig album, in case anyone was wondering. So, um. They weren't. Okay. They weren't. So the manuscript for Times. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. So the manuscript for Times Pond, uh, uh, was received at the agency on June 5th, 1953. And the agency. 1953? <coughs> <1953? laughs> The agency found a home for it and uh, in Thrilling Wonder Stories, but it was specifically the 25th anniversary issue, so it was a big deal that it was a novelette in that one. And so it was a very... So this novelette was a big deal for the progression of the career of Philip K. Dick because he hadn't published Solar Lottery yet. So this was a pretty big deal. Um, okay. And uh, so I think that magazine is probably pretty hard to find. Well, yeah, I, I tried to find the story online and I couldn't, I couldn't get anywhere near it. I couldn't even find reference to it other right. than, you know, the, the basic references you get to the novel. Right. And, um, it was out of, it's out of print mostly because I think Dick wanted it out of print because he expanded it into the novel. And so he figured like, you know, all the good bits that he liked from it were, expanded upon in the novel i don't know if we'll ever <clears throat> be able to determine which one's better uh how you know how that works if anybody so, knows where we can get a copy of it let yeah. us know yeah larry will pay for it yeah well <laughs> my sugar mama will so um on that note so one thing that's really interesting that i discovered from researching times pond is that when when stories came to to um the sub-agents at Scott Meredith at his, his agency, that they would, they had internally, they would rate um, PKD stories with G for good, G plus for better, and then sometimes they would just, they wouldn't even put like a G on it and they'd just write comments. So if they liked it, they would return it with a G on it. So, nice. <clears throat> so. At least uh, that's something. Yeah. A lot so, of times nowadays you don't get anything. 
Yeah, so Times Upon was kind of an important story in the formation of PKD, so it's interesting that it's lost. Okay, so in 1959, Don Wolheim of Ace Books did approach PKD to expand Times Upon into a novel. So, here's the thing about that. At the time, it had been a little bit of time since Time Out of Joint, and PKD had not published anything science fiction related, hadn't worked on it, it had been almost... It had been almost two years since Time Out of Joint, right? And, and that they, wasn't even that wasn't even published by Wolheim, was it? No, it was not. It, and so here's the thing. He hadn't done anything with Ace. He hadn't done anything science fiction in a while because he was working on trying to sell his mainstream novels. Ah. And he, he worked on, on several mainstream novels at the time. And so when Don Wolheim approached him to write, to do this expanded rewrite version of Times Pond. He had just finished In Milt Lumkey Territory, which is one of his mainstream novels. And this, he wrote Dr. Futurity. So, David, if I can interrupt you for a second, when you say mainstream novels, do you mean literary novels? Literature? Do you mean, this is not genre fiction, this is literature, you will find it in Barnes & Noble under the section labeled as such. Yeah, I believe that is what um, Phil had in mind, but what instead what... (laughs) Philly D. Phil, like you're his best friend now? (laughs) Yeah, Philly D. Um, I think that's what he had in mind. Every time you say Philly D, I imagine PKD like as a basketball player. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking more baseball, but... Right. Anyways, um, yeah, this was after in Milt Lumkey territory it's spelled really weird shout out to milk and before confessions of a crap artist so right Hmm. after writing dr futurity he wrote confessions of a crap artist really which was one of his first mainstream novels to to be published but well that was the only one to be published in his lifetime right now um we do have a quote that um uh philly uh, PKD said about this process. He said, I admire and like Don. He and I have had a, ra- a rather long and happy business relationship. But his statements about my rewrite of Time Pond made, make me uneasy. And they, and well, they might. You know that I worked very hard on the Time Pond rewrite. I did what I believed to be a good job, one that would please Don. If I went haywire, it was news to me. Also, I got it in very early, far in advance of the deadline. I did everything I could to rebuild the story in the best possible way. Mm. And the letter I sent out <laughs> lining my intentions were fair and accurate statement by me and what I intended to do and what I actually did do. He was not stuck or stung. Mm. He had the legal right to reject my work entirely, to request any amount of changes he wished. Now I say this only because his odd way of reacting, both in terms of what he said and when he said it, makes me fear that fear on this Vulcan Vulcan's hammer job. From my standpoint, Don is an enigma. I can I honestly can't tell what will please him. Obviously, so when did he say that? When this was it? This was in a letter. Oh, in a letter. <clears throat> yeah. So it had to be sometime in 1960, right? Because Vulcan's I, hammer and Dr. Honky were, <laughs> were published in, in 1960. Dr. Dr. White Knight? I believe this letter was written in 1959. Oh, okay. Yeah. Between, so it was before both, either one of them was published. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think because, as you'll see from quotes that we have later on, um, that uh, there were some changes that were were made. So mm-hmm. in in Sci-Fi Eye, Volume One, Number Two, August nineteen eighty seven, there was a archived interview with Richard Lupoff that um, talked about this. So playing the role of Richard Lupoff today is Sir, <laughs> Sir Anthony Trevino. All right. And are you going to play PKD? I'm going to play PKD. All right. I'm, I'm Richard Lupoff, who I don't know if he's English. His friends call him Dick. But I'm going to ask you, <coughs> did Volheim mess with your copy? Never. Oh, once with Dr. Futurity. He made a lot of cuts in Dr. Futurity. But outside of that, he never messed with them. He didn't make money with any of your other stuff. Why did he cut Dr. Futurity? Because in Dr. Futurity, I had Christianity dying out and interracial marriages. Scandalous. Don disapproved of <laughs> Christianity dying out or talking of it dying out. And he definitely disapproved of interracial marriages. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I didn't read that part until you just Whoa. read it. <laughs> Yo. Oh, wow. So here's the thing. Well, first of all, we know... PKD is either misremembering because we know that Don Wilhelm messed with um, Eye in the Sky in yeah. major ways. But um, it appears he messed with Dr. Futurity too. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, but I, it, you know, there's a lot going on there. And then PKD also said, I want to qual to qual. Uh, David, just sit down. I'll okay. do this. I want to qualify what I've said in denouncing my own writing. Whenever I write a book, I really write as well as I can. That even includes Vulcan's hammer, Dr. Futurity, in The Unteleported Man. And it isn't that I say, well, I'm only being paid three cents a word. What the fuck? Crummy pay? Crummy book. I really try to write a good book, but they don't always come out good. The intent is not sufficient to guarantee a good result. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I would hope that... I would hope for any writer. I would hope that nobody sets out to write a shitty book. Right. And, and, And that's kind of one of those things... Where if you are setting out to make something that's garbage, you're no better than the people who produce the Sharknado movies. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, I mean, even Stephen King, like, for example, like, as much as, you know, he's put out a bazillion books, he knows, for example, like, Roadwork and Rage are really bad, you know? Um, but they're they're Bachman books. And, and weren't Bachman just... books trunk novels anyway? Yeah. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. And then he wanted them out, but he didn't really want them in his name. And then, you know, it is what it is. Sometimes you have to just get that story out, I feel like, right? Well, and I don't think it's really up to the author to decide what's what's good and what's bad. Yeah. In in that sort of Stephen King sense, what you're saying. Well, we've talked about this before. Because The Long Walk is a lot of people's favorite Stephen King novel. The Long Walk is is great. Yeah. 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 That is the best of the Bachman books, without a doubt. But, I mean, everybody... It it still might even be his best book. Everybody here has had the experience, Even though it was written really early. Huh? Everybody here's had the experience, right, of writing something and thinking this is really fucking cool, and then everyone reads it and they're like, "Yeah, hey, and they don't get it, or it's not so good." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, or, or and the reverse is true too. You write something and you think that you're uncomfortable shit. with, yeah, you know, and you don't really like, but everyone seems to get it. Well, it is, and it is clear that next month's book, Vulcan's Hammer, is definitely, definitely. PKD's least favorite of his own books. So okay, it's his least favorite. It's his least favorite. He he thinks it sucks. It's clear. So, um, but anyway, but again, I don't trust authors' views of their own work. Yeah, 
and so that's a lot of the writing and publication history. But it it did end up getting published in February 1960 um, as a ace double. So it was ace double number 421. And it was Dosi Doe with Slavers of Space by John Bruner, who we met, who I mentioned in Dick Like Suggestion. Did you just ah. say who we met? Who we mentioned. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, way to bring it back. Yeah. Very good. That was the idea. See? Clever. Um, but John Bruner, for those of you who... Are you patting yourself on the back so hard people can hear yeah. you sound like a helicopter taking <laughs> off? <laughs> Maybe. So, Bruner... Um, did did win Hugo Nebulas and the whole deal, and it was very very good. And he had uh, the one that I mentioned earlier, Shockwave Rider, was a part of a trilogy of his probably best novels. Where Bruner had some really high class novels like Stand on Zanzibar, The Sheep Look Up, which is one of my top ten horror novels of all time, and Shockwave Rider. And these are really really high class stuff. But John Bruner also wrote some serious pulp shite <laughs> and so there's there's entire ace doubles that are like i have an ace double back at home that's two uh john bruner novels and you can really tell the difference in quality on the john bruner like ace books where he wasn't really trying and the ones so that... they were dosy do with just two of his own books yeah i have one of those yeah that seems very indulgent well, it's Don Wolheim's uh, job to set those up, so apparently Don Wolheim decided that. So, anyways, but this one that was Dosey Doe with uh, Dr. Futurity was Slavers of Space. Mm-hmm. Anthony, can you tell us about <laughs> Slavers of Space? Slavers of Space! <laughs> In the future, Man King lives in idle luxury. He has triumphed over his environment, and all his needs are served by robots and androids. I don't know what the fucking difference is. There is nothing left for him but to seek pleasure in never-ending carnival, without inhibitions and without thinking of the price. Derry Horn, a wealthy playboy disillusioned with his futile existence, discovers the brutally murdered body of Lars Talibrand. I would read the shit out of this book. <laughs> it well, probably sucks, but I would read it. Right. <laughs> really, Shockwave Rider. <laughs> Sheep look up. Every time you say <laughs> Shockwave Rider, I think of the cover of Toby Hooper's Shocker, but him riding an electric wave. Nice. Well, you, should, you, should look up, you should look up some covers for Shockwave Rider, because it's got some pretty bitchin' co- covers. So um, it's, it's really, really uh, pretty good stuff. But yeah, um, this, so this is a uh, this one's a book about space pirates, a space. Uh, I want to know what the difference is between androids slavers. and robots. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think robots are fully mechanical, and androids are meant to look like humans. Yeah, but... that that is probably the distinction. So don't you feel stupid now? <laughs> no, we're asking that dumb question. No, I think it made sense. Thank you for the answer. <laughs> nice try, though. Continue, okay. nerd. <laughs> Nerds. Um, oh, that's my favorite shockwave. Uh, he's looking at shockwave writer covers because I told him to. <clears throat> but anyways, um, yeah, that's a pretty cool cover, huh? Yep, these are pretty rad. Yeah. So um, yeah, so at, play along at home and look up the shockwave writer covers because they're pretty cool. So um, oh man, the German one, der Shock villain writer, pretty 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 rad. All right, so that's the writing and publication history of Dr. Futurity, a.k.a. 
Dr. Honky. Dr. White Knight. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, it's time for the story breakdown. Oh, oh really? shit. Story breakdown. Story breakdown. DJ. Langhorn, J. Tweed, take it away. Oh, yeah, okay. So this is a this is a book. Uh, this is a book by Philip K. Dick. Shit. Okay, so it's... You're going to have a real hard time with this one, aren't you? It starts with a, with a doctor at, whose name is Jim Parsons, just like the guy on that nerd show. <laughs> Big Bang Theory. I was going to talk about yeah. that later. But um, yeah. And he's in classic doctor form. And don't ruin this, David. In classic doctor form, he lands in the future and immediately thinks to himself, they're going to love me here because I'm a doctor. Right. It just sounds like the biggest ego trip you could ever want from a doctor. And so then he goes to the city and this kid tries to run him down in a car. And then the kid picks him up and he's like, okay, this is weird. I don't speak the same language as this guy. And he's very brown. And so then he's dropped off and people don't like him because he's white. And then he hides. He breaks into a building that he thinks is a warehouse. Turns out it's a secret meeting. Turns out the secret meeting people are cool with him being there, even though they're really not. And then these little kids come and they're sort of uh, like rabid animals and they start attacking everyone. And and Dr. Parsons is like, I'm out of here. And uh, this one dude's like, hey, take my girlfriend. And he's like, all right, I'll take your girlfriend. So he carries his girl, that guy's girlfriend away while the little kids are, are wrecking him, all the other people. And then he gets her to a hotel, and in the lobby, he, he goes, everyone back up, I'm a doctor. And he has this little bag with him, his little fucking utility belt-like thing that has everything in it. If uh, It's like a Doctor Who's sonic screwdriver. It can do anything. So he opens the bag, and he's like, oh, I got to fix her heart. Good thing I have a Baxter heart. That's something like that. And he, uh, he bypasses her heart, and he fixes her up, and he's like, all right. Look at me. I did doctor stuff. And everyone's like, but you're a, you're a dick for doing doctor stuff because that's not how we roll around here. He's like, God damn it. I don't understand the future. <laughs> and then he gets arrested and he gets arrested and he's like, and this guy's like, all right, we believe you're from the past and that you're, you're not, uh, it's not your fault, but, uh, boom, I'm Judge Dredd and now you're going to prison camp on Mars. And so they stick him in a in, in this little little ship with a rat brain, and the rat brain flies him somewhere, and it turns out that it doesn't land on Mars. The rat brain gets upset and confused and starts going back and forth. The rat brain was super weird. Yeah, and and then he's like, great, I'm going to die in space, and my only company is a, a part of a rat brain. And then he's stopped, and and these two guys come over, and they're like, hey, we're here to take you somewhere because we did a back-in-time thing, and then one of those little kids comes and kills everybody, except for Dr. Parsons. The doctor uh, gets in the, the other ship and then flies to the future, and he's like, oh, man, now I'm lost in the deep future or some shit. And uh, and then he finds this this uh, godlike tablet that tells him how to fly the ship, 
He's like, cool. So he goes to this, where the, the tablet told him to go. And then he meets the, uh, sort of the main characters of the, of the story, which is the, uh, the wolf tribe, which is in the same future where he got arrested. And, oh, and by the way, there's this other guy who was the, the Judge Dredd guy. What's his name? Poco. referring to Stenog? Stenog. Stenog. So he comes back later. So you should know his name. Stenog. And then, so he, he's rescued by these two people. Their names are. Uh, the woman, main uh, character. Oh, I, um, besides the doctor. Uh, 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 I believe it's Loris. Loris. Loris and, Loris um, and her, her bro. Her, uh, <clears throat> yeah, his name is, uh. You mean the zygotes of choice? No, <laughs> a Cheney or something? I'm gonna call Helmar. him Cheney. Helmar. Alright, fine, good enough. Loris and Helmar save him, and they're both like, dude, you're a doctor, you gotta save our dad. And, uh, he's like, what? What are you talking about? So they show him the, uh, the cube, and it's a little miniature version of the soul cube, which I didn't talk about, but fuck you. So he tries to save the dad, and they're like, yeah, because he went to the past and got shot by an arrow in the heart. And he's like, oh, I can fix a heart. No problem. I've got the Baxter thing. But what's going on with that arrow? And then, yeah, later on, he's like, oh, the arrow. Wait, we should have that analyzed. So they boop, boop, get it analyzed. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's future feathers. Yeah, those aren't even real feathers. Those are poly, poly, fucking plastic carbonate feathers. Yeah, yeah they're poly carbonate. Basically, plastic that feathers. shit's fake. Fake feathers. Yeah, and so they know something's up, but they don't really know what. And he's basically trying to figure out what the society is and who these people are. He's really curious about their racial background, but they, he can't figure it out. And then eventually, they're like, "Oh yeah, we're we're Native Americans." And uh, we don't like this guy, Sir 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 William S. Drake or whatever his name is. I, I mean, he, he's a real guy, but I don't remember his name. His name is Drake. He's very famous. He found California. Yeah, for the white people. And they mentioned Cabrillo, who's uh, big in San Diego. Oh, and they mentioned the University of La Jolla. Yeah, well. yeah, I saw that. No, the University like, of La Jolla. What the hell's the University of La Jolla? <laughs> you, you mean U UCSD? Yeah, close enough. <laughs> All right, so they uh, they say, yeah, our Thanks, dad Billy. went back in the past. He was going to kill Drake, and then and then everything changes in our in our favor. So that's basically the plan. That as we're told, the plan: kill Drake. Everything goes in our favor. Those are the three steps. We don't know what the second step is. So uh, he saves him once, and then somebody kills him again. And he's like, oh, that sucks, uh, but. But uh, we got to go to the past and figure it out. And they're like, oh, we don't want to time travel anymore because of stuff. And then he meets the rest of the family. And it's basically like they're all inbred, and but they're really attractive. And uh, we find out that uh, if we didn't know it before, Philip K. Dick is definitely a boob man. <laughs> that guy cannot stop writing about big boobs. He is. Jeez. He's a boob guy. He cannot, he cannot get For enough sure. of it. Uh, so e even when it's like grandma, he's like, even grandma has big boobs and stuff. <laughs> Stephen anyway, King had the same disease. So he goes, <laughs> so they end up going to the past and then he's like, oh, I got to stop. I got to stop dad from, from trying to kill Drake. So he stops him by, uh, stabbing him in the heart with an arrow by accident. And he's like, oh, now they're going to kill me. And then they don't kill him. And then. They take him back. They they say, you still have to be punished, even though you didn't do it on purpose. 
So they leave him in the past, but in a different time, so he doesn't get all of Drake's leftovers. Uh, and then uh, his Loris comes back because they screwed earlier, and she found out she's pregnant. And uh, by the way, Doctor Parsons is married this whole time to a cute bunny back home, and uh, which is basically all we know about her is that she's an attractive, nice woman, and that she's the wife that he just never sees again. He adores her, but only no, so far goes, as he sleeps with other women. He goes back. Yeah, he goes back. Eventually, again. yeah. yeah. Eventually, and sort of against his will. Uh, but, all right, so then she's like, yeah, you, you'll come back with me, and then I'll take you back to your wife. And she's like, and then we can do it in the meantime. And he's like, no, I can't do it. i got to go kill your dad again. But he gets to that point, and he can't kill the dad again. He's like, oh, man. Hippocratic Oath and all that stuff, and I was supposed to save him. I can't kill him. So he wants to see who does kill him. Turns out it's his kids from Loris, and they're like, yeah, no problem. We killed that dude. We saw you couldn't do it, so we did it for you. Yeah, we're just being good kids. And he's like, yeah, you're kind of like freaking me out. And then he goes to the future, or goes back to the past, and makes the tablet that he finds in the far future. The end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The story breakdown. Whew. Yeah, I knew that was oh, going to be a tough bravo, one. Bravo, Larry. You did yeah. great. I... <clears throat> that was a tough oh. one. There's a lot of stuff left out there. Well, yeah. I think the we're, only we're thing of importance that you left out was the soul cube. Yeah, yeah. the soul cube. But that was it. Oh, he did say, I, mean, that's just I a left big out sp- the soul cube, fuck you. Yeah, so. it's just a big sperm bank. <clears throat> yeah. That or is or kinda, fetus bank. I we'll guess. talk about the soul cube in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we will. So, um, yeah, this is Doctor Futurity. It's a very confusing story. Um, I think right off the bat, I did like some of the world building that went on early in the in the book. There was some interesting things about the self driving cars and and like the he within. You telling me there's a PKD book with self driving cars? Yeah, <laughs> crazy. But. Um, you know, it starts off in 1998, right? San Francisco. Mm. Spawn had just come out a year prior. Is it 98? I thought it was 2018 was his. Or 2008. Uh, no, it's... Uh, oh. Or 2002 or something. It was in the yeah. 2000s. Yeah, so I think it's like 2010. Okay, yeah, because yeah, it says um, here, by 1998, instead of businessmen and politicians, it was scientists trained yeah. to run the world. But I just want to yeah. point out that I bitched a lot about how much I hated the Time Out of Joint opening. And the opening to this book is much better. Yeah. yeah read it to yeah. us. The spires were not his own. The colors were not his own. He had a moment of shattering, blinding terror. And then calmness. He took a long breath of cold night air and began the job of working out his bearings. So much better than fucking... This dick was peeling potatoes <laughs> and then he was putting the milk back in the refrigerated part of the fucking grocery store. I hate that book! Yeah, I, I actually... I like both openings, but... Yeah, they're a little different from each other. Yeah, um, they are. But, uh... Nah, just a little bit. <laughs> but I think there's some really interesting things that happen right doesn't away. doesn't matter where I am, they're gonna love me. Yeah. Well, yes, there is that the whole thing with yeah, the doctor stuff. there's some cocky-ass people in this book, just like in Time Out of Joint. You yeah, guys, right? I'm really fucking smart, and the whole fate of everything rests on me. <laughs> That happens a lot in, in fiction, but uh, yeah, but I'm not doing not as brazenly about all those. Not as brazenly as it does in these books, I don't think. Yeah, 
Well, yeah. So this San Francisco, I think we get, I think what's cool is that in the first couple of pages, there's a very short but very fully realized look at at the brief time that we see Jim Parsons in his world. Mm-hmm. But it says a lot about who he is and what what's going on with him. And so when we end up with, um, you know, him moving to this other world that he doesn't understand instantly, we also get like a really kind of exciting way to introduce the idea that, you know, in a way that's confusing, but in a good way, is that when he gets there, he tries to save this woman's life, and everyone just kind of casually wants to kill him, because, like, if he's in the road, he must want to die, right? Yeah. And that whole thing was was kind of an interesting way. It was to, a nice mystery, a, a nice little little mystery that I don't think we could have figured out. We're not given enough clues to figure that out. but Right. But it is a, a, such a different... A, a, flipped view of what we believe society should be yeah so cool little part um and so once it gets to this other world right and we're there uh i think one of the other interesting kind of things that we're kind of set up with a mystery on is is we have this part um and i from my edition it was because i'm reading from the three early novels of philip k dick so do we have a picture of that online um, well, for those who don't know, <coughs> excuse me, for those who don't know, the three early novels of Philip K. Dick, it has the man who japed Falcon's Hammer and Dr. Futurity. I think it's a worthwhile addition to get. I thought about getting that one. Yeah, I'm glad I got it because that's three right there. Um, so this part on page 153 of that edition is, um, that's, that incredible white mask, a girl said. We had masks. And then eventually, um, Dr. Parsons has to say, this is my real face. <laughs> and they say, all white like that? So, you and know. And they ask him if he's sick. Yeah, right. Which is a funny way to kind of introduce the idea that, you know, this is a very racially different future. Which he Very progressive and, and honestly realistic future. As far as the the race is concerned, yeah, where everybody yeah. looks like me, right? Everybody's mixed race. There's mm-hmm. no, there is no color anymore. And this was, an- and Doctor Parsons shows up to say, mm, "Fuck this." <laughs> well, and this is the year twenty four oh five, to be exact. Twenty four oh five. Twenty four oh five, and. Um, so then there's also, like, they talk about, like, this Age of Darkness in the next page that came after the H-War, whatever the H-War is. But, it was the uh, Heroin War. Well, it could be many the things. The Helium War. The, the, I, I'm, Balloons were taking over the country. <laughs> I, I'm assuming he was trying to go for hydrogen, no, maybe. I, I, we the Happiness was... War. Yeah. Everyone died of being but, too happy. So there's this idea that there's this, you know, primitive society and, and, and but what, what we, primitive society, wait, the, David? what's the primitive society? Well, it, it mentions, um, that there was, let's see, it's like all Parsons said, in other words, feeling his tension and aversion rise. It's like all primitive society. The stranger isn't considered human and killed on sight. He's, He's making the mistake of thinking that it's a primitive society. Yeah, okay. Sorry. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, so the nature of 
what a doctor is in this time and era. Cause you know, and it's funny cause you mentioned this Larry is that he comes there with this, like, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm really important. Right. <clears throat> but in this future, uh, doctors are not, uh, revered. They're, no. Yeah. This is a very, this is, this is PKD making a very strong statement about social Darwinism and, and, and in a really interesting way. So when people talk about this being the worst of PKD novels, um, I, I really, you know, there's so much to chew on here. Even if it's, some of it's naive, there's just so many ideas. Mm-hmm. And even right here, this whole idea of, um, you know, uh, let's see. Um, I've read about, I have read about your period on the history tapes. You're a doctor. Well, that term is clear. I understand the function you performed, but I can't grasp the ideology behind it. Why? His face was animated with emotion. That girl, Akira, she was dying, and yet you deliberately made skillful alterations to her system with the purpose of keeping her alive. So, it's just the idea that they would try to keep this woman alive who was disfigured or whatever. It's like, they... It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, because to them, like... No one lives that long, and death is, like, mm. not a bad thing. Sounds like Dr. Parsons showed up and said, uh, my way's better, high new culture, do it my way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, um, I know, like, it says here, uh, you know, like, he has to explain that he's not an escaped lunatic. They tell him that their average age is 15 on the next page. Right. And, you know, so they live... You know, we were worried, Larry and I, before we started reading this, that it would be too similar to Logan's Run. But, yeah, that's what I thought it would be, too. But yeah, not, it's not, not at all. Yeah, not at all. So, um, so how does this society reproduce? How do, uh, how does a society where they don't have marriages and they don't have life and death in the, in the same way that we see it? Well, they reproduce by... Soul Cube. By the Soul Cube. You just, you just... Come in this cube. <laughs> that's 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 all I took away from the soul cube. Um, all right, ladies, lay your eggs in this cube, and we just <laughs> so in in a pure info dump. Oh, uh, there's Stenic, a lot of info dump in this book. Yes, Stenic says zygotes arrested and frozen in cold pack by the hundred billion. Our total seed, our horde, the race is in there. Those of us all walking around, a minute fraction of what's contained in there, future generations to come. <coughs> sorry, sorry to lose my voice there. But <clears throat> it says also we keep a constant population, roughly two and three quarter billion. Each death automatically starts a new zygote from the cold pack along its regular development path. For each death, there is an instantaneous new life. The two are interwoven. It's kind of a cool concept for this. You know, weird, like, eh, 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 yeah, but see, here's, here's, here's <laughs> where he, he sort of loses me a little bit is in that, that number. He says 2.3 billion, but I got no sense of scale whatsoever. And uh, all we ever see is this one city. Is it 2.3 billion inside that city? Uh, I don't know because that yeah, city all, doesn't seem big enough. All the interactions are kind of low key. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have that 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 sort of scale to it to match that number. 
Well, he does talk about population issues on a Methusian scale. Um, right. In the next couple pages. <coughs> so, um, on 177 of my edition, uh, Stedog says, You had no way to cope with war and famine overpopulation because you could not bring yourselves to discuss them. So war happened to you like a natural calamity, not man-made at all. It became a force. We control our society. We contemplate all aspects of our existence, not merely the good and the pleasant. So what I'm wondering is, because he's talking about you have a society, and he also says, this was a society built on death. Death was an everyday part of their lives. So I wonder if PKD is trying to make some kind of interesting point about the idea that the more overpopulated you get, like war is bound to happen. You're going to, like, war and death. Yeah. Death is a part of everyday life in general. It happens in the animal kingdom. Anytime a population gets too large, there is always, there's either disease or there's more hunters that come along. You know, there's more predators that come along. There's always a way of balancing it out eventually. And if people are saying this is PKD's worst novel, well, how about this? This is a pulpy as shit novel. I admit that. The, yeah. <laughs> the, the plot is ridiculous. It's all over the place. Why you gotta say pulpy like it's a bad word? <laughs> I'm not saying, no, I'm not. I'm not. Mm. Okay. But, here's the thing. Is this, if this is as bad as it gets, supposedly, there's some really interesting and cool ideas and thought provoking things happening in this book. Cosmic yeah. Puppets is 100% worse than this book. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I would say we all agree. Cosmic Puppets is two hundred percent worse. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so let's let's take that I, number I up. Never there. got to a point where somebody was like, "What do we do next?" Bzz, bzz, you have to get out of the time ship. Bzz, bzz, bzz. <laughs> right. And there are no mountain boobs. <laughs> There's no, no driving through boob mountain. Although, nope. although he throws down some some. Uh, references to boobs and butts yeah so i mean i think at least the guy in this likes his wife not like in cosmic puppets where he's like yeah fuck my wife he he likes her enough but when she asks him do you want to go back to your own time period he's like "Eh, i mean if i have to (laughs) yes all right fine i mean it's what i I feel like he did it because he felt like it was his moral obligation, not because he believed in yeah. his heart that he wanted to actually go back to his wife, which so yeah, makes him a dick, but, you know. Yeah, but that was at the end. Yeah. You know? So we're <laughs> not going to get... There was a time. The there other, was a time where he wanted to go back. The other 100 pages where he's just a prick because he <laughs> he had this other family in a different time time period. I, I, <laughs> right. Well, listen. I mean, I'm picking Loris every time, if you ask me. Well, see, here's here's an interesting thing, too, about this is that, you know, for the people who think that this this is so bad and yeah, it's not it's not a fucking it's not the greatest book. No, no. And and it's not. No. And a lot of the like fantastic, like a lot of the fantasy elements of it, like where the wolf tribe and blah, blah, blah is kind of goofy as shit. Yeah. And the plot twists are all kind of convoluted and some of them don't make sense. So on a just a pure writing and narrative perspective, I this is not great. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, this is essentially a 1953 novel. Okay, right. yeah. Even though it came out in 1960, 
It's essentially a 1953 novel. David, with the excuses of, just remember, it came out then, so cut it some slack. Yeah, there's well, a there's a lot of this this book that shouldn't be there. A well, lot true. of a lot of repetitive things and a lot of explanations of things that happen. Oh, holy there's, shit! When he first gets to the, the 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 shoreline and he's trying to figure out what to do and thwart it. Right. I should have counted how many times he falls and grabs onto the cliff right. to right himself. <laughs> it goes on forever. Right. And I'm not making excuses for that. But what I'm saying is, is there's still a lot of really interesting and thought-provoking ideas. Yeah, the make... ideas are there. Right. <clears throat> and I think that when we get to, like, how you could make a movie of this, there you could you could fix Dr. Futurity. Yeah. You know? But I haven't thought about how, but yeah, I think you could. <laughs> it'd be very hard to fix cosmic puppets. <laughs> I'm sorry, it would just be hard. But this one, I think you could fix. So, um, I do like when when they are going to send them to Mars prison, mm-hmm. and I and I almost kind of want to want the novel that takes place on Mars prison. <laughs> but um, but I, I also really like <laughs> how he handled that uh, him being in space by himself. Right. And that, that was well written, how the isolation and sort of the inevitability of his own demise. Right. You know, it, just being alone in the blankness of space. That was really well done. Well, here's one thing we know about why that was a little bit more well done than some of the other parts. Huh? Because that was definitely um, added in the 1959 rewrite. Oh, yeah? Because Don Wilhelm, uh, apparently, in one of the things I read, had asked for space, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I think the original Times Pond just had time travel and, and no okay, no space. So, so he, needed, <laughs> he needed a little space in there. He's like, can you, can you have a war with the moon? No? <laughs> okay, then can you do Mars right. attacks? <laughs> no? But one, All of, right. one of the narrative parts that I really did like is in this scene too. And, and so I think that, that the whole him going to the very far future and finding the plaque with his name on it and aside on that, because, well, I knew his name was Dr. Parsons or Jim Parsons Here it comes. or whatever. Yes. The thing I, <laughs> I can't believe didn't occur to you sooner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw it on the plaque, when it was like just out there, I was like, oh shit, Jim Parsons. That's obviously the name of the guy that plays Sheldon on Big Bang. But then the problem was for the rest of the book, I was picturing Jim Parsons playing this role. And actually, I don't think he would be that bad. Um, no, Jim Parsons, I don't like the Big Bang Theory, but he's a good actor. Yeah. He's actually, I believe he's from here. He went to USD. Yeah, I, I worked around him. I didn't work with him, but I was yeah. working at the, at the Globe and stuff like that back in the time he was going to school. Yeah. And, and going to USC is the, it's the old Globe's, um, acting program mm-hmm. and he was in that acting program that's right while i was working there yeah and um and i i do sometimes like little bits and pieces of big bang theory but um, yeah, of course you would well he was great in the muppet movie yeah and he was really good in um what was the oh the um oh i don't remember he was the, i saw him in a movie that he was really good in but um jim parsley for a dream i don't know about that um so yeah so that just kind of threw me off a little bit but 
So this whole twist with the plaque and where he sees his name and it's telling him how to get back in time. And then he, he figures out that this, this twist when, when he's like in the far, far future and he thinks he's on Mars because that's where his target had been to go. <clears throat> and then he said, um, and, um, okay. A moon crossing the face of this world, much closer than the moon he knew, but perhaps its greater size was due to Mars being so much smaller. Shading his eyes against the long rays of the sun, he studied the face of the moon, the worn surface. The moon was Luna. This had not changed. The pattern on its visible side remained the same. This was not Mars. It was Earth. Here he stood on his own planet, on the dying ancient Earth, the waterless last age. I love that twist. Then he saw the Statue of Liberty <laughs> sticking out of the ground. Well, hey, this was before <laughs> that movie. That's true. So, but I did, I did, I did like that twist. Yeah. So it's all right. Kind of like how it was revealed. But then now we got to get into um, all the race issues in this book, which, admittedly. Are sometimes clumsy, but you know, considering this was the majority of this story was written before Rosa Parks had even, you know, been on the bus. Been on the bus. Well, she was definitely on the bus, but I don't know if she hadn't taken her stand yet. So we, um, she had by 1960, I think, but not by 1953. Yeah, and a lot of this story and the race issues were developed. Now that that was all in the original, I think. A lot of it was. Okay. Yes. So, so Helmar, uh, he has a line here on page 198 of the three complete novels edition. <clears throat> In the wars of the 23rd century, all races blended together, you understand. So from the time on, it was not meaningful to speak of white or colored races. And then let's skip a little bit. And then Laura says, that, of course, was not connected with the blending of several races. The division into tribes is purely artificial. Um, And so then they kind of have this weird social Darwinism based on, um, like, this competition, these games. So it's almost like if you imagined, like, forming societies based on who's rooting for the the Chicago Bears or the Atlanta Falcons, right? And... So that was kind of a weird thing. So because but each individual of the of each tribe has to be a part of it. Right. And contribute to this. So it would be if the bears played whoever you said, but all the people in the country were on the bears or whatever other team. I don't understand your sports talk. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's like the Olympics. It even describes it as the Olympics. Yeah. <coughs> so Instead of society, like, being run by Congress or whatever, they, they, like, make these decisions by these games. It's run by John Madden? Yes. Something like that, yeah. But they do, they do intellectual. I know John Madden, that's a sports thing. They do intellectual (laughs) and physical. They do all the different aspects of life for, to see which tribe has the, the best, uh. But do they do sexy games? No, so, because they only have sex for fun. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and so, they all collectively pool their jizz in that yeah. soul cube. <laughs> so <laughs> Jizz cube. <laughs> what a gross cube. <laughs> so here's the interesting thing. <laughs> we just brought this podcast yeah. down. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to break it back up. So there's a lot of clumsy things going on with the discussion of race. 
Uh, I don't. I'm. I'm not seeing it, David. Well, well, let me get there. I. Yeah. Th- but I think. Are you referring to the fact that he shows up and says, mm, "I kind of like the way we do it in my place better." You're wrong. I'm going to thwart your attempt. Well, well, we'll Wait, get there. He doesn't say that, does he? He kind of does. Actually, he says he wants to help. Yeah, he wants to help him at first, but so. At first, yes. Yeah. But as the book progresses, I, I feel like he becomes more selfish. Maybe yeah, I read it wrong. Yeah, but I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think PKD was trying to make that point. I think PKD was saying that this future well, what I think is interesting about this is is that right or wrong and and how and the total outcome of what he's what opinion he's trying to put forward, at this very early juncture, he's taking a very progressive look at the idea of European colonialism. Mm-hmm. And whether you know, whatever you can say about how pulpy this book is, it is the first time that PKD, at least so far in all the books that we've read, is looking at Western civilization as a whole. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and he doesn't... Not just the American experience, but the... Right. And he's not spending hundreds of pages doing it. He's just got little info dumps, you know, here and yeah. there, that I think are pretty clever for the most part. And I think... That, you know, he looks at history a little naively at some points here. Like the idea that you could go back in time and kill one white dude, like named Drake. Right. And replace him. And then all of a sudden European colonialism is going to fall and California is going to be okay. Or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, the the plan was basically to, you, you, you kill Drake, you take over that part of the country when the... The, when the white people get there, you have the training and the weapons to thwart them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can you can defend, which is something that the Native Americans back then couldn't do. So look at it this way. Rosa Parks has yet to take her stand on the bus. And I'm not just bringing up Rosa Parks. Boom. Of, pun. Yeah. Um, I'm not bringing her up just because the Doctor Who last night was about Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. But... But or that I got to work with her. When does Jim Parsons show up to kill Drake? Now? Whoa, 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 but what? Hold on, hold on. Uh, <laughs> popular hip hop artist Drake, Larry. Yeah. Oh, I... oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> so Jim but... Parsons kills Drake. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a pitch. Um, so here's the thing. Um, what I think is cool is that. At this time, racism was still like a major, was still a huge part of our life and a much, I mean, it still is, but. Yeah, Jim Crow laws were still in Jim Crow laws were still in place. And then you have the science fiction writer from Berkeley writing this novelette that's in this major magazine that basically says, you know, we got to stop white people. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And question all of Western civilization. And for that, kudos to PKD because that's pretty, pretty ballsy. Yeah. yeah, and got to give him credit for that. <clears throat> I, I agree. And um, so, and hold on. Uh, I skipped a uh, B, e, B, <laughs> this is me, David, looking for my notes. E, B, 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 B. Okay. You, you get them, Grandpa? Yeah, so on the whole fixing history thing, he does even mention it. He says he wanted to make everything right, erase the terrible 500 years. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I just the idea that he would call it the terrible 500 years in this book is is really interesting 
progressive. I want to meet these societies that think they're so great. Oh. You live in one. Oh, shit. Ooh. Topical. Hot takes. Hot takes. <laughs> oh, we know what picture is going up in the YouTube video. <laughs> whatever happens. I just uh, think his attitude changes the farther into the story we get. Do you? I, I don't think it does. I, I think it changes once he he kills the father. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's all about his own his own uh, ass at that point. Yeah, that's what I meant. <coughs> oh, okay. He, all right. So on the clumsy race issues, <laughs> I found some uh, on page two twenty five of my edition, um, which is the edition no one here has. So just read it. Okay. <laughs> Um, it would have, it would have been, uh, masters over supply, slaves, the supremacy of one race over another. It would have been a natural relationship, the future guiding the past. No tribes to be wiped out, no concentration camps. Euphemistically referred to as reservations. Too bad. He felt all regret. You're sorry, she said, peering at him. And you're white. How odd. <laughs> it, it seemed to disconcert her. You don't identify with these conquerors, do you? They built your civilization. We plucked you from the ladder of that world. And he you pronounced said, that do you wrong. Um, Parsons said, I didn't burn witches either. I have no sense of identification with many of those things. Are all whites alike? And so there's just this kind of like clunky conversation about, you know. No, you I don't know what you're saying. You don't think it's a little clunky? I think it's a little clunky. I think, I, I think you're you're reaching. I think you're reaching for problems that aren't there. You agree with everything that's said there. Yeah, I do. But I don't know. I just, uh, I just think it, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just think that, that there are some things. I know there's like one time where he does like describe someone as looking mongoloid and that, so there is that. I don't, not in this book. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there is. Anthony, mm. didn't you read that too? The man was certainly multiracial. The cheekbones suggested suggested Mongolian. Mongolian. The eyes were Mediterranean. <laughs> the hair, possibly Negroid. The skin color perhaps had an underglint of reddish brown. Polynesian. So yeah, I believe that's the the part David was referring to. Yeah. Okay, but that's not Mongoloid. <laughs> okay. Now you're the racist. Well, Mongolian. Mongolian. Mongolian, okay. Mongoloid, what's the difference? Oh, no. Hot <laughs> takes! <laughs> Alright, anyways, so... No, not anyways. Well, I, I just, I, you know, I don't know. Don't dismiss your own being wrong. <laughs> oh, he does it all the time, don't worry. <laughs> well, I was wrong, so let's move on. We're all wrong. I think he does a really good job, for the even for the time period, of, of bringing up all these progressive ideas and... And ways around race issues and all that stuff. I think it's really well done. Sure. Okay. If you, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to the mat for that one. <laughs> you know? I think so, we learned from our, from our time out of joint fallout that no one heard. Sometimes we just gotta move on. Sometimes we just gotta move on. So the next thing that I really have, I've written down is, um, the whole part about Steneg. Stenog. Stenog. Steneg. What the fuck, dude? How do you read names? <laughs> Dyslexically. Is, is his name Lurie? <laughs> what the fuck? It happens. Okay, listen. <laughs> so, uh, Stenog, uh, replaces Drake. Steneg. 
he replaces Drake. And this interesting thing about this story is like, was there an authentic Drake that ever landed in California? Was it always Stenog? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And He's like, well, we do find, we do find out now. at the end that he was there for 10 years. Yeah. yeah. But right. We still don't, we don't get an answer really to what happened to the original Drake. Right. But that's, that's a interesting part of the book too. So, yeah. um, really cool things going on. So, um, now we're into, I think, I think that's everything about the story. Let's, Kind of talk about yeah. it as a whole in review. Um, you guys want to hear what some of PKD's peers thought about this book? Sure. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Damon Knight somewhat surprisingly gave it a positive evaluation, writing in the 1960 issue of the magazine of science fiction and fantasy. A positive evaluation sounds like something your doctor gives you. Right. Yeah, he said... While deploring the less than plausible plot and frequent stylistic howlers, yeah, nevertheless praised the quote unexpected vividness and power. Remarked that almost alone among SF writers to make the politics of his future world sound more, more uh, like more than perfunctory pieties. Hmm. <clears throat> Frederick Paul, author of Gateways. In the Worlds of If, July 1960, concluded, Dick's narrative is neither bald nor unconvincing. It is quite convincing. It, It is even hairy. What flaws the story, what flaws the story is a really excessive trolling on of time paradoxes mm-hmm. so that almost everyone turns out to be almost everybody anybody else that's <laughs> trowling trowling sorry trowling on of okay that makes <clears throat> that's a that's a good one okay who, who said this last quote david this is patricia clark i i don't know she's a scholar who writes a lot about pkd well patricia clark says i suggested that dr futurity ranked as phil's least successful novel basis opinion in first place on the many internal inconsistencies in the work. Corinth's ultimate plan to prevent the colonization of North America by the British by assassinating Drake and his fellow explorers, one by one, is really ludicrous. How is this supposed to frighten the English? The death of one man or several cannot possibly hold back ultimate colonization. Ooh, that's kind of dark. Yeah, but that's very true. The plan was not very good. No, no, the plan sucks. <laughs> so we have some questions. I mean, for- if, even if they're doing the whole, you know, three amigos. Uh, is Martin thing. Sheen in this book now? Martin Sheen. <laughs> no, no, is it? It's, yeah. Yeah, they. No. <laughs> Martin Short. Martin, Chevy Martin Chase. Short, Chevy Chase. And, <laughs> and Steve Martin. <laughs> Steve Martin. Martin Sheen. I was so wrong. <laughs> or the, uh, the That's dirty a really dozen. different three amigos. <laughs> yeah, it's Or right. no, Magnificent Seven. You know, they teach the. The villagers, how to shoot and how to do things to yeah. defeat mm-hmm. the enemy. Right. You remake know, of Seven Samurai. Yeah, you, you can't really, movie. it's not really going to work on, on this national, continental scale that they're talking about, that these people are, their plan is dictating. But I think their plan, and, and you guys can jump in and dogpile on me if you think I'm wrong, I think their plan is really more just rooted in the fact that the, the kind of all-mother of the society, that's her son that dies. So I think she really cares more about the fact that she just wants to make sure her son doesn't get killed again. Well, I don't think they care so much about the society as a whole 
at times. Yeah, that that she just wants revenge. Yeah, and wants her son back. Yeah, to a degree, I think it's a revenge story. Yeah, yeah. That I, I mean, it definitely could be that way. But the and it was her plan to begin with, right? We're yes. told that it's Nixina or whatever her name is. Mm-hmm. It's probably Nizina. The ex probably Nizina. Yeah, it's her plan to begin with that they would they would kill Drake, take over this part of California, and then defend it. I I don't know what the fucking plan was. It was terrible. It's a little convoluted. Yeah, it's a little convoluted. <clears throat> a little <laughs> convoluted. Um. So, and then we also have a couple quotes from our uh. Our homie, uh, Evan Lampy. Um, he said, youth, age, and stagnation in the hyper social Darwinian world of Dr. Futurity, there is little need for humans to age beyond their reproductive years. So the ideology of society glorifies death. He also says, while this shows a naive perspective on the numerous causes of the conquest of the Americas, it does show Philip K. Dick interested in the critique of Western civilization, and uh, he was aware of suppressed alternatives in history. And then the last quote from from Lampy is, I do not think that Dr. Futurity is one of Dick's... I do think that Dr. Futurity is one of Dick's most important books, highlighting his view of history and the nature of human progress. Yeah, I I disagree Mm -hmm. with both Evan and... Dick, when they describe the future society as as be, having a morbid obsession with death, I think they just have a a much more clear acceptance of death. Yeah, and I think that the the back copy for this story kind of sells it wrong. They don't really fetishize death. That promised me a, a much different story. Yeah, you know. So I agree with you, Larry. For once, <laughs> for once. Yeah, I mean, they don't fetishize death, but they. Um... They don't. They just don't fear it. That's right. really the. the thing. They don't shy away from it. They right. understand it's, it as they understand themselves to be a part of a machine and not the center right. of the universe. Right. I mean, it's. It doesn't seem like it's that that hard to 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 make that leap. Right. To that that kind of society. Mm-hmm. It's definitely different than we in this country view things because we are all the center of the universe here. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, definitely definitely. You're different. special, Larry. Everyone's special. So, um, and every life is worth living. So, how many soul cube zygotes out of five do you give, <laughs> Doctor Honky? I mean, Doctor Future Guy, <laughs> Doctor Doctor Whitey, Doctor Whitey, Doctor 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 White Knight. Doctor, doctor, <laughs> doctor, glad doctor. I'm not sick. Doctor cum cube. Doctor. <laughs> How many zygotes out of five do you give Doctor Futurity? Larry, go first. All right. Uh, I'm giving it uh, two and a half cum dumpsters. <laughs> Soul cubes, Larry. Soul cubes. <laughs> Giving it two and a half soul cubes. Because I, I, I do like the idea, ideas behind the story, but I just, I don't think he was there in the telling of the story. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't have a flow to it. I, I was bogged down in a lot of places where I, I honestly, like, like you guys got with a timeout of joint, I just got bored. 
That's I fair. was bored with a lot of this. <laughs> but I was I was still like, even as I was bored, I was like, I'm interested in what happens in this story. I'm I'm interested in the mysteries that are being solved and all this stuff, but I was still bored at the same time. And they, my only idea of why is because it wasn't written well, as well as the other stuff we've read. Cosmic Puppets, not the standard. Anthony? I'll give it 2.5 soul cubes out of 5. I I agree mostly with Larry. I think there's a lot of cool ideas in here, but none of them ever really come to fruition. There's all this stuff happening with alternate realities. The scene where he gets stuck in the time ship Mm -hmm. is really cool and and interesting, but then we just kind of drop that. Right. And and I don't know, like, the the whole... I don't enjoy when Dick introduces so well so far i don't enjoy when dick introduces fantasy tropes into his work so for example the wolf tribe and i imagine they all wear these dumb like leather cloaks or robes with like their stupid emblem on it and it just it seems really goofy to me hokey yeah uh hokey the whole and and the fact that he even states that it it (laughs) makes no difference right i mean at least give your Give your characters a purpose for having tribes. Yeah. I think maybe it was a, a victim of having it be longer, because I never read Time's Pawn, although mm-hmm. although uh, Dr. Futurity is a killer title. Yeah, it is. Um, It was not his choice. That was doc- that was uh, Don Wolheim. Yet again. Yeah. Right. Don Wolheim <laughs> with the with the on-point uh, titles. Um, I, I, I like the beginning. I think there's a lot of cool imagery in this book. But I got bored and I stopped caring. How many times I got to watch Parsons fall down a cliff and then climb back up and then fall down a cliff again? It's there's a lot yeah. of repetitious la- repetitious language in here too. I don't think it was really edited that 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 well that well. Yeah, and so I can't give it anything more than two point five soul cubes out of five. Cool ideas, still better than the cosmic puppets, mm-hmm. but probably my second least favorite that we've read so far yeah yeah mm, david no if we ranked them i don't know where i'd put it but right. um it might be above jones might be below jones i don't know i am going to yeah i am going to shock the world and give this four soul keys get the out fuck of out of here and i'll whoa. tell you whoa hey these are my soul cubes okay <laughs> All right, David. L- listen, why are you fucking me- handing out soul cubes left and right? All right. Well, All right, listen. David. Here's why. Okay. Yes, this is a clumsily written book. The narrative is kind of a disaster, but I like the ideas that are involved. I like the concepts that he's throwing around, and I like the experience that I had reading it. Um, now, I don't know if I would like this book as much if I wasn't reading it for a podcast. Because I was slowing down, I was highlighting parts, I was, you know, doing that that kind of thing. And because of that, I think I thought more about the ideas. And so I think I probably would have given this a 2.5 or a 3 or something if I wasn't reading it for the podcast. But because I was reading for the podcast, I did. I think I enjoyed it more. And um, I just really did like the ideas. I think this story could be fixed. And when we get to the 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 movie treatment um i think i think there's ways that you could fix this the biggest problems were this was shittily this was rushed this was a rush draft with a rushed edit and i think that um if 
it was written by a PKD that was not hopped up on amphetamines and trying to rush to a, to to beat a deadline, which he did, <clears throat> then we would have gotten the same story with a little bit more narrative. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. blame I wouldn't blame the amphetamines. Well, Pretty much wrote all his shit on amphetamines. That's true. <laughs> Maybe that's true. But I think it was the deadline. He was trying to beat the deadline and whatever. Anyways, I, I and he was fighting with his publisher. Yeah. So would it would have been better if Christianity had died out and you know there was interracial marriages allowed? Um, it, it, yeah, it could have been a little bit better of a book if he didn't have the editorial. All you got to do is make him single and he can stay in the future and live happily ever after. <clears throat> well, we'll talk about how to fix it um, in a little bit. But, um, but yeah. I, is that, I, does that become a segment now? We're going to fix your book? No. no, it's how we would make it as a movie. It's I know. How we, it just sounds so, it sounds so stuffy and, it may. and pedantic when you say it. So anyways, <laughs> I'm going to give it when, I, when you say it. Yeah. But yeah. So four. Four. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep, I'm going to give it four because of the experience I had reading it. So, um, and I, I, I admit it. Well, that should be helpful for the listeners. Well, but what I'm saying is, is I think people are trying to figure, I'm, I'm just giving you my Listeners, you might enjoy this book if you start a podcast, do a couple episodes, then read this book for your podcast. No, but if they're, <laughs> if they're reading along with us and they're <laughs> taking part in the discussion, and and thinking about it like to the level that we are, then they may be having. Or we're not thinking about it, just thinking about the ideas behind it. Yeah, for yeah, but that's it. I just I just think that if you're, I think if right. you're joining the discussion, you'll like it more. Can can we do Anthony's reviews or whatever? <laughs> no, I was I was thinking about that, and none of them are funny. None of the two star reviews are funny, and Aww. I agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> so it would just be a, a reiteration of so what we've we already said. we can only do this with the good books. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, when we get to Man in the High Castle, there might be some. Yeah, there's probably some in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, movie treatment then. Uh. <laughs> yeah, who, who are you having directed? Who are you doing the things with? <clears throat> who do we how start are you with? changing it? Well, should I start? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so first off, for one thing, um, I would not, I would make sure that it was, I would have the society that he gets to in 2405 be more Gattaca-like, but, uh, so when he gets there, it's, it's kind of an ideal. And so I think Jim Parsons should definitely be on board with going back to, to stop the Drake thing. And then, you know, just have that be a little bit more clear but I do like the idea of the time travel back and forth and him coming, you know, from his time and being a little out of joint and out of place. So it wouldn't be, the structure wouldn't be that much different, but I think you're just, you're, you're cleaning up some of the, some of the things and the repetitive elements and the, yes. And you're, 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 um, nonsense. Right. And focusing more on, um, just making sure the narrative kind of flows, but, uh, as far as director, I, I don't know that I have anybody specific in mind this time. Um, but I think pretty much anybody could, I would want to get somebody who has a visual eye for science fiction. Uh, but I guess if I could have a dream director, somebody who could kind of, you know, I'm thinking of, the, you know, there was an original version that Darren Aronofsky had of the fountain that he never got to make, that he had to make a cheaper version. 
right? right? And so he missed out on kind of doing the... Are you just saying Darren Aronofsky because they talk about the fountain in this book? <laughs> no, but I was... Because th- dude works at the fountain. I did think of the fountain when I was reading it's this right book. right across the street from the cum cube. <laughs> well, the fountain had this... I think the cum cube's in the fountain. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> so in the fountain. So it's the golden shower fountain <laughs> atop the cum cube. So there's this whole. Um, there's a welcome whole... to the mature cast. <laughs> so there's a whole like. Back uh, if you could only see David's face right now, it makes me so happy. I'm the edge lord of this podcast. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so the director. So Larry. <laughs> All right, so... go ahead. I'm not saying Darren Aronofsky would be the best person for this because I almost wouldn't want to take him away from doing his original stuff. However, what I do, what I would want is somebody who, maybe an Andrew Nichol, maybe, who yeah. did mm. Gattaca. Yeah, that's who I want. Get the Gattaca director, Andrew Nichol, who just did a really cool made for Netflix movie called Anon. So. Is that good? I haven't seen, I, yeah, I, I think, I think it was a dick like suggestion a couple months back. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, I really liked it. It's very PKD. And um, so, I, yeah, Andrew Nichol, and he also did another PKD-like movie. Well, I'm, a bunch of his movies are PKD-like, like In Time mm-hmm. and uh, right. Gattaca as well. So, yeah, I would – Andrew Nichol uh, okay. would be my director. And um, Electric Sheet hit us up because I, I would love to do a screenplay for Futurity. Dr. Honky. Dr. Honky. <laughs> Our black exploitation remake or adaptation of, of Dr. Futurity, Dr. Honky. Yeah. Oh, I would. There you go, guys. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Starring <laughs> Pam Greer. Yep. And, and uh, Isaac Hayes. Yes. All right, Larry, do you have any ideas for making a film of this? Well, yeah, I, I, I guess you have to follow the, the basic idea of the going back in time and all that stuff. But I would also concentrate more on the future society and add some conflict there. Because there's no conflict in in any of the future scenes. When they're at the at the Citadel or whatever they call it, there is no conflict there other than bringing the guy back to life or not bringing the guy back to life. You know, what what happened with the the little crazy kids and what happened with the other group of people that were against the government sort of like we need there needs to be some element of of um uh of uh of disparity or dis uh of discord in the future society that we see and are not just told about yeah and i think you could do that with like what i was talking about with the whole gattaca thing is that if you if you and i would i would make the future society much more they would fetishize death. Yeah, it would be clear that this would be almost like a road warrior in a in Gattaca kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you combine that sort of raw energy of of road warrior movies, maybe in w- with in with a Gattaca type society. Yeah, maybe that is you, much more exciting. Yeah, if you made it more like they um, people were really excited about engineering their death at a certain age right. like 16 or 17 you know that they wanted to go out and blaze a glory yeah it could almost be it could all almost be like the purge anthony's <clears throat> favorite movies fuck those movies <laughs> even though so. you've seen every single one of them in the theater because there are things in them that i enjoy 
It's just... The murder? <clears throat> no, Larry, not the murder. Sometimes the murder. Come on, um, the murder's fun. Yeah. I just... The, the closest thing that they ever came to being the movie I wanted was The Purge Anarchy. Which yeah. is closer to what it should have been, and not slamming its fucking message in my face over and over <laughs> with a fucking shovel full of, like, hey, do you get it yet? Right, yeah. yeah. They are pretty preachy. Well, yeah. and, and and to be honest, if I were to make a Doctor of Futurity movie, it would probably be pretty preachy. We're, we're, right. making, we're talking about The Purge, David. What podcast but are the, you uh, on? The, uh, <laughs> but I, I think mine would be, too. And I think it would be purge-like as well. You know, there's there's got to be an element of of like like crime in this perfect society, like well, unsanctioned the, <laughs> death or or something. You know, well, and then it could set up the tension of you know, well, we have this post. You, you make post- the euthanizers more important, or yeah, and then we could you could do a thing of like, well, we have this post so, so-called post-racial society. Right. But we're now having these issues. But if we could just get away from the effect of having to be in the aftermath of European colonialism. Right. We could have a better future California. And so that could be like part of their motivation and where where it's not just we want to go back in time and 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 change this it's we we've got to go back in time right yeah we we have got, got an to go element, back element of urgency too yeah and definitely that that sense of urgency is something that could could fix this story it's true yeah so and it's not you know that we think you know, I just in hindsight you know, it's it's always easier looking back and saying like what what, what can, could be fixed what could be fixed and could be done and um you know, and, and if you're going to make a Doctor Futurity movie at this point, you would have to update the story to a certain degree. Yeah. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, Electric Sheep, I think, think you should develop a Doctor Futurity movie because at the same time, you could take a story that is really cool and has cool ideas and maybe wasn't executed so great and do, and do Philly K, Philly, <laughs> Philly, <laughs> K, D. Philly, you, you okay over there? You having a Philly. stroke? You having a fucking stroke or what? I know, right? <laughs> could do Philly KD proud. That's what True. I'm saying. And make Dr. Futurity into like something that maybe he would have been a little bit more proud of. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anthony, did you have anything on... I think I agree a lot with if we were to turn this into a screenplay that David and I co-wrote together, we would... <clears throat> Larry can work on it, too. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Um, I, I would, you would ha- almost have to update the society. Yes. As we've kind of talked to death here. Right. But I would want to see more of the book that I read at the beginning on film where he is trapped in this society that, yeah. that, that is not afraid of death. And it, death is almost like a rite of passage for them. She kills herself after he saves her out of fear of bringing shame to their society. Right. That's the story. That's an exciting story. That's the right story there. I want to know more about. That's I want to watch a doctor struggle with the concept of his profession not always being what everyone wants. Well, that I think is the biggest flaw. Now that we're talking about it, that is the biggest flaw in this book is all this stuff is happening. He's about to go to a prison camp. Mm-hmm. All these things are like it's aiming towards a really great story. And what do they do for the next hundred pages? They lock they him. They fall down a fucking cliff. They lock him in a a sanctuary. 
Right. Where nothing can possibly touch him. Yeah. So there, there, I mean, there's nothing there. No, I agree with you. Um, and I would kind of play with that idea. I might also jettison the whole, we're your kids and we figured you couldn't do it. So we came and did it for you because right. that didn't really add any emotional weight for me. No. Yeah. That part's gone. Um, and, uh, or like I said, you get rid of the wife and he stays in the future with the kids and all that stuff. Yeah. But. You know, it it depends on how you want to go with that. Yeah, you you could take that either way. I don't think either of the... You can't do both. I don't think the original wife, and I don't think that Loris, as a love interest, is really that interesting of a character as a love interest. Right. And more, she's more of an interesting character to me me as someone who understands that in order for (laughs) their society to move forward and change, her dad has to die. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, those are kind of some of the changes I would make. If I could choose a director for it, I would want it to be Jeff Nichols, who directed mm. Take Shelter and Ooh, uh, Midnight Special. And I would want it to be written by a writer who isn't always known for doing... I don't... mean besides us. Yes, yeah. David. Well, I would love to see a Jeff Nichols-directed Dr. Futurity... And yes, if not written by me and David, I would love to see Warren Ellis write the script for Doctor Futurity. And if you're not familiar with Doc, uh, if you're not familiar with Warren Ellis, Warren Ellis is primarily a comic book writer. He wrote Transmetropolitan, Trees, um, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Doctor Sleepless, not to be confused with uh, Doctor Sleep by Stephen King, the right. sequel to The Shining. Um, he also wrote Castlevania's most uh, like. Uh, Castle, did I, did I say Castlevania? You did? Yeah, sorry. He wrote Netflix's Castlevania, which oh, okay. is fucking awesome. It's very good. Yeah, and Warren Ellis is great. I haven't watched it. And I, it, and I, and I, did you guys I, ever play the game? Did you ever play Castlevania? Any of yeah, the I Castlevania? Yeah, I did. Games? That's one of the games I, one of the first video games I ever had. That's awesome. So, <laughs> um, I would love to see Warren Ellis and Jeff Nichols team up to adapt this if it wasn't going to be Jeff Nichols, me, and David. Well, Warren Ellis has some great dialogue, too, and he sometimes has... And I, I think character. he would also be able to kind of take the more absurd parts of this book and make them smart. Like, the yeah. scene with him being stuck in the ship, I think, would be both funny and terrifying. Sure. So, that's what I want. Jeff Nichols, Warren Ellis, Dr. Futurity, <laughs> 2020. I would just like to see Jeff Nichols go way more sci-fi, too. I mean, yeah. I, I loved Midnight Special. But. Yeah. I'm going to pick a director that I normally don't actually like too much, but I just watched Hancock last night, and that movie, besides being phenomenally written, and, and of course Vince Gilligan is involved in that one, and the, the story is really well written, but it's directed by Peter Berg, who normally does these these giant you know, Hollywood blockbuster-type movies, and I think he would bring a sort of grand aesthetic to this story that that it could sort of use and and it would be a little a little bit bigger than we normally choose directors here on on the dickheads podcast you would you would make it make it a very exciting exciting movie instead of just a good movie (laughs) you know what's really funny is i think I would like that version better than the version that I was envisioning in my head with Andrew Nichol. <laughs> so I think the Andrew Nichol one would be kind of like more stripped down, but right. You know. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing is that Peter Berg, besides being, he is a good actor. If you, if you remember the movie, um, uh, what was it called? The last seduction. 
Mm-hmm. He was the dupe in that movie. He was phenomenal in that movie. <clears throat> and but his directing, he's done like uh, Battleship and and Hancock and the, all these these big. He did the uh, the recent. 20, 18 Mark Wahlberg movies yeah, in a row. Yeah, 22 Miles or whatever it was. So, oh shit, I'm going to be in Dr. Futurity, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably would play Jim Parsons. Mark oh, Wahlberg playing Jim Parsons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, would. Forgot to, we forgot to uh, cast it. Yeah. I, I mean, Michael, Shannon, Michael Shannon, Michael Shannon, Michael <laughs> Shannon. And of course you want Zoe, Zoe Saldana as the... Yeah, that would be a good choice. She's not, the, I, the, I don't think she's Native American. She's not, but it doesn't matter, does it? No. <clears throat> yeah. If we're updating it, no. Right. Yeah, and then that the the um casting race wise would be kind of interesting. You know, it'd be dicey. But yeah. um but I yeah, in the role of Jim Parsons. No, it'd be great because you could get all kinds of mixed race people. You wouldn't have to do it the way Dick did it, where it's like everybody looks identical. Right. Which is I sort wouldn't. of ridiculous yeah. when you think about it. Uh, even if you're mixed race people, there's going to be traits that are that are more more prominent than others. <laughs> sure, but well, uh, it, it would be nice to have a whole movie that's full of mixed race people and then one fucking silly white dude. It's very hard for me to shake the idea of Jim Parsons playing Jim Parsons, but um, <laughs> I think if I'm being realistic, I I think you I I would actually like a like a John Hamm. <laughs> or like somebody, because somebody who pulls in the like, or the early George Clooney, where it's like they sell the "I'm a doctor and everybody loves me" yeah, kind of right. thing in the beginning. <laughs> Michael Shannon, Michael Shannon, Michael, Michael Shannon. Shannon. <laughs> well, dude, I, don't know I, if want... I want Michael Shannon as my doctor. Yeah, I don't know, because you know, okay, so he might be too sympathetic. <laughs> let's let the listeners behind the curtain. Anytime we're casting a movie. Anthony's always going to pick Michael Shannon. <laughs> it's true, and it's I'm always going to pick Guy Pierce. Yep, yep. <laughs> those it's are true. our two favorite actors. And someday <laughs> and we'll then, make a buddy cop movie. And then with second, those two. second, you both pick John Hamm. <laughs> I love John Hamm. Yeah, he's great. I think he'd be great in this. He's but... really great in a uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah, um, but I mean, you could—I don't know—you could do a Ryan Gosling or somebody like that. But I. I don't think it would be mm, as interesting. I couldn't but. buy Ryan Gosling as a doctor. <clears throat> yeah, well, played pretty good engineer in First Man, so, and pilot, so. But regardless, anyways, that's our Dr. Honky movie. Um, yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Um, so, the last thing we've got to do is preview our next book, so you can start reading it. Oh, cool. <clears throat> Anthony, what's our next book we're reading? Our next book is... Vulcan's Hammer. Dun dun dun! Spock! After the 20th century's devastating series of wars, the world's governments banded together into one globe-spanning entity committed to peace at all costs. Ensuring that peace is the Vulcan supercomputer, responsible for all major decisions. But some don't like being taken out of the equation, and others resent the idea that the Vulcan is taking the place of God. As the world grows ever closer to all-out war, One functionary frantically tries to prevent it, but the Vulcan computer has its own plans. Plans that might not include humanity at all. Bum, bum, bum! Ah, that's that's kind of a good... I just realized something, but I'll save it for after the podcast. (laughs) That's uh, definitely a book about the surveillance state, so... Right. Should be interesting. Um, 
Yeah. What's our next movie thing? I don't even know what it is. I don't know. We should watch the father thing. Or wait, we already watched. Wait, did we watch? I did that for. We should I watch think... the Hanging Man, which no, is the on next... the show under a different title. The uh, next one on our schedule was the Impossible Planet from. Oh, okay. Electric Dreams. Cool. So I think our next episode will be the Impossible Planet. So yeah, um, from Electric Dreams, but uh, pretty soon too, we're we're. I don't know. We're getting there. So uh, we're getting to Man in the High Castle pretty soon, everybody. So we're two books away. Yeah. So, it's going to um, be exciting stuff. So I don't know. Anyways, uh, we really appreciate the feedback. We just saw the numbers uh, for Time on a Joint, which is – Wait. We really had a good. question. Oh, we did have a question. Now, listen. Um, my plan is to – well, we can record this and then just plug it in. Like we need oh, to move okay. it earlier. But before we do that, let's – Or look. we'll wait to the next episode. No, no, we answered this one. <laughs> oh my god! So, anyways, uh, uh, thanks for listening. If you made it this far, um, uh, keep it paranoid. Yeah, be paranoid. Paranoia is the way to be. This Paranoia. is me, Anthony, signing off. Paranoia.